Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. How is everybody? <laughs> Guys doing well? Very good. It's a little cooler today. <laughs> Felt like, man, I got to get a coat on or something. <laughs> uh, maybe that. Maybe not that bad. But, uh, so... You might have noticed, whether recently or, or, or not so recently, that we really like to fight. We just like to fight. And I don't mean just us here. I don't mean, you know, just the, only the people that are, that are watching, you know, service now on YouTube or, you know, the people who do go to church or the people who don't go to church. I, I just think... All of humanity likes the fight. And we just have mastered the art of tearing into each other. Uh, you know, or, or at the very least, we, um, we really feel as though there are things worth getting into a verbal, physical, or, or typing brawl over. <laughs> and, and this might cause you to want to fight me in saying this, but... Some of those things, I think, frankly, are worth fighting for. Um, and then on the other end, I think that there are things that maybe they're not worth fighting for. You know, there might be some things that yeah, maybe we shouldn't be fighting over that. Uh, anybody remember the uh, chicken sandwich wars from a few years ago? <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like forever ago, but that was actually just... August of 2019, Popeyes came out and tweeted about a new chicken sandwich that they had, to which Chick-fil-A responded with, you know, it was kind of a, a, a subtle response and a reminder that, hey, ours was the original chicken sandwich. And so, you know, all of a sudden Popeyes was like, okay, well, wait a minute, like, we got to respond to this. We got to we got to fight back in a, in, 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 a, in a, a decent way. And I used to be in advertising and, um, many years ago, and I read an article about this, and it was pretty interesting. All the, the Popeye marketing execs and everybody that was in that sort of uh, uh, end of the company, you know, they all got together and said, hey, like, what are we going to say? And they came up with just a very simple response. Y'all good? And that's how the chicken sandwich wars began. Wendy's got involved. KFC got involved. And it was actually it was pretty funny. It was pretty interesting to see this thing kind of take on a life of its own. And what happened was there became inevitable shortage of chicken sandwiches. So many people wanted to try these things out. And there was a shortage. And... and what wasn't funny, though, what wasn't great that came about uh, all of this was there were actual fights that broke out at some of these establishments. Real adults fighting over real fast food chicken sandwiches. People fought over this. Now, I am biased Part of my role with Athletes in Action is I, I help oversee our 
international partnership with Jamaica. Uh, and I will say this. If you want to fight over chicken, you have to go to Jamaica to fight over chicken because they make chicken that's worth fighting over. <laughs> uh, here, it's good. I get, I get it. It's Chick-fil-A country or it's Popeye's country. or KFC. Like, it's good. I support whatever you support. I don't want to fight over this right now. Uh, but um, people were fighting over that. And people like to fight. There are also people, uh, those few who don't necessarily want to fight, but they just want to find different ways of getting other people to fight uh, so that they can observe this. There, there's an entertainment value to it. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, oh, that person at your, wherever you work who, you know, always has got to, you know, make a fight about something. Or maybe potentially family members or friends and you guys all get together and they just want to get people riled up. No. Uh, fighting does have historically some entertainment value. You think about boxing. You think about wrestling, professional wrestling. Uh, you think about mixed martial arts. Uh, the Roman Empire held something known as gladiator combat, and that pitted armed men against each other, and at times they would throw wild animals into that. Uh, um, I even have, we have a couple, good friends of ours, and they talked about this wedding gift that they received when they got married. And it was a, a bunch of uh, bottles of wine. And, each bottle of wine had a theme to where you would consume it uh, in regards to a first for that you know, particular marriage. And one of those bottles happened to be first fight. So, you know, this, this couple, you know, they, they went on their honeymoon. And look, this happens to all married couples. They, you know, at some point in the honeymoon, they had a tiff. They had, you know, some type of discussion. And... Uh, at the end of it, they're like, well, when we get back, you know what bottle of wine we need to, we need to polish off. <laughs> so people fight in different ways. And I don't want to make light out of some of the ways in which humans historically and currently fight. Because for all the things that we kind of laugh and joke about, there could be an element of evil involved in it. Satan is really great at manipulating and twisting until things, become compl things completely devolve into utter catastrophe. And you got some real, real issues that occur. And so you have these things that go on, but you also have this God who also enjoys fighting. And luckily for humanity, God is really good at fighting because God fights the right ways, because he's God. And that's what we're going to explore today. God the fighter who is out there fighting for us. I, I don't know why this concept was so eye-opening to me. It's not a concept, but you know, just this biblical notion about God fighting for us. Because I've read about it, I've heard about it for years, but a little over a year ago, uh, a passage towards the end of Joshua really stuck out to me. And that was 23.10, Joshua 23.10. And it says, 
One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. (laughs) One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. It's the Lord your God who fights for you. Now, some of you might have experienced this. Some of you regularly experience this. Some of you pray and ask God, like, you got to come through for me. you got to fight for me. Some of you might not even realize, hey, like, God actually fights for me? Um, and we're going to touch upon what it looks like for God to currently fight for us in the year 2021. But in this particular passage, Joshua is talking about the Israelites. Now, it's towards the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 23. And really, this book is centered around the idea that the Israelites have been wandering, but now is the time to take their territory. They, they are actually going to inherit the land that God promised them. And so, you know, so throughout the whole book, you know, they're fighting and God's fighting for them. And they get to the end, uh, and then I guess things have really kind of slowed down. Uh, in the first verse of uh, chapter 23, it says, A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, so it has happened. It's done. They've been led by God in some seemingly creative and inconceivable ways, and they have received slash took their territory. And so Joshua was a key figure in all of this, but he knows his race is just about over. He's in his hundreds, and I realize that some people like to believe that age is just a number, but... When you get to triple digits, especially as a believer, uh, paradise is just around the corner. He's seen a lot, he's experienced a lot, and he led the Israelites into the promised land. And when you go back into Joshua, first off, it wasn't necessarily necessarily a battle, because nature kind of does what God commands it to do, but it was the crossing of the Jordan. You know, they crossed the Jordan during a time when the banks of the Jordan were overflowing and they were able to get to the other side. Then eventually they marched around Jericho one time a day over six days. And on the seventh day, the priests blow the horns and it was on. They were ready to do battle. There's the conquest of the northern territory and the conquest of the southern territory all west of the Jordan. Uh, And in all, Joshua and the Israelites defeated 31 kings in their conquest. That's not bad. That's a pretty solid military career. But what really happened in all of this? In 23.3, Joshua uh, offers an initial reminder as to how they overtook so much territory. And it was very similar to what he says in 23.10. And he says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it's the Lord your God who has fought for you. Again, it's the Lord your God who has fought for you. 
God did something to all of those nations because it was Israel. God loves his people, and he wanted to give them that land. He wanted to fight for them. Israel had roles. They had stuff to do. God gave them plenty of things to do. But one of the biggest roles uh, that they had was witnessing what God was doing, which more often than not, it was fighting for them. So Joshua is at the end of his life. He's reminding all of these leaders, all of these people who are really going to take, take, the, take the realms of leadership for Israel, uh, that they were witnesses to what God had done. Uh, and to continue to do that, continue to obey, continue to follow him. Now this isn't, this isn't a new role for God. Uh, and for the Israelites, watching God fight for them, wasn't a new role either. Uh, they'd experienced a lot of that type of thing. And in fact, Joshua marked kind of the second part of God's big redemptive plan and role in the Old Testament. Uh, the first part, which happens throughout the, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, that's where we see God choose Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and where he also makes a, a covenant with them uh, at Sinai. And in the second part of God's work, which takes place in Joshua, Moses is passed away, Joshua takes over, and God really just, I don't want to say that he never embraced being like this divine warrior, but we just really see it in Joshua. We really see him go full-on divine warrior as he brings them into the promised land and eventually gives them rest. But in the first part and the second part, we still see God as a fighter. And one such, one such situation occurs in Exodus. And a lot of you guys know the story. You know, after some strong convincing, Pharaoh tells the Israelites, just go. Get out. We don't want any part of you people any longer. Just go. And then he kind of has a change of heart, and he's like, no, 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 no. We've got to go after these people. We've got to go after them. And he sends the cavalry. Uh, chapter 14, the Israelites are camping by the Red Sea. And this is right after they kind of left. And all of a sudden, they look up and see Pharaoh and his army. And all the chariots, all the key generals. Anybody that was somebody in that army was out after the Israelites, including Pharaoh himself. And so... When we talk about camping, like, and, you know, existing there on, on, beside the Red Sea, this isn't like how we would think of going out to the beach. You know, we got a little fire out there. Maybe we're cooking hot dogs and that kind of thing. No, this was already a fairly tense situation. And all of a sudden they see Pharaoh, and this creates a real crisis. And the Israelites lose it. In verse 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, done to us bringing us out of Egypt? And they eventually conclude, For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Not subtle. I appreciate the sarcasm. And yeah, they have... They have forgotten a lot of the prayers that they prayed over the many years before 
uh, to God, asking them, hey, remove us from this situation. We can't handle this anymore. <laughs> but let's be honest. <clears throat> How many of us would be saying the exact same thing? I'm pretty confident in my abilities to freak out and blame somebody else who I thought was leading me to my death. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> but how does Moses respond? <clears throat> does he get mad at him? <laughs> does he say, okay, you guys got a problem? Let's fight. And we're talking about fighting here, right? <clears throat> does he do that? <clears throat> no. Verses 13 and 14, <clears throat> he says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Moses makes a, a pretty bold and faithful statement. Because he's saying, take one last look at Pharaoh. Take one last look at all his soldiers. Take it all in, right? One last time. Uh, because you're never going to see these people again. The Lord is fighting for you. Then eventually the waters part. The Israelites cross the Red Sea to the other side. And Pharaoh and the Egyptian army uh, try and cross, but they're drowned. The waters, you know, all of a sudden just collapse on them. God fought for them. God also establishes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. This is another major part of the redemptive work he does in the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, if you've been here a while, or I don't know, I mean, you could be here a month or two, uh, you might, there's a good chance that you've heard Pastor Lee uh, preach about or talk about a suzerain vassal covenant. Anybody remember that? Yeah, a lot of us remember that. That suzerain vassal covenant. In this part of the world, there were two types of covenants or treaties that you know, could exist between different people groups or individuals or what have you. And the first one is a parity treaty. And that's between two equal parties. And then the second one is the suzerain vassal. That's between a greater and a lesser group. And so the suzerain is the greater group and the vassal is considered the lesser. And so, as the greater, the suzerain was required to provide certain benefits, like land, and in some cases, military protection. And that was as long as the lesser group maintained its allegiance to the suzerain. Now, throughout the book of Joshua, we see this play out. God fights for the Israelites because they're the Israelites. And because God loves them, and because there's a covenant. Now, for the Israelites, they have a key part in that, and that was that they had to obey and do what God required of them. And they're the vassals, remember? They gotta obey. They gotta they gotta follow certain aspects to this agreement as well. And during Joshua's leadership, the Israelites tended, for the most part, to hold their obedience to God in high regard. So, the Israelites finally find rest. The Lord has fought for them. But in the grand scheme of things, the fighting has only just begun. 
That's a relief. Not only for the Israelites, but anyone who has ever thought about their existence after our time here on earth. There are two things that you'll notice about the times God fought for the Israelites. One, God's continually saying, I will deliver, I will exalt, I will be with, I will glorify myself, I have delivered. I, 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 I have, I will, all of this. Now, if you have kids or had kids, you will hear this a lot. In this particular case, it's a good thing. It's a little different frame of reference when you're, when you're talking about kids. But this was ultimately about what God could do, not what the Israelites could do. Second thing, in many of these circumstances, the Israelites didn't have a chance on their own. They were capable human beings. They were probably smart, some of them very smart. They had skills, they had abilities. But let's be honest, splitting the Red Sea so people could cross through, this isn't a magic show. Penn and Teller aren't going to show up and help things out. This wasn't magic. Defeating 31 kings, uh, taking all of that land under their own strength. And Israelites tried to do things on their own a few times. Uh, and that didn't always turn out great. They were not able to do things apart from what God required. And again, it's not because they were totally helpless. It's not because they were completely lacking any type of abilities and it's not because they weren't valued as human beings. It's just that they couldn't do what God can do in the ways that God wanted to do them. They couldn't do that on their own. Let me say that again. They couldn't do what God can in the ways that God wanted them to do it. And that's true for us when we consider eternity. Because each of the battles that we talk about this morning or you experience in the Old Testament or read about in the Old Testament, uh, and there are a lot of them, really it's just, it's a small preview of what's to come. And what was to come was Jesus. Jesus' arrival on earth, even as a baby, was to do something none of us could do. Deliver us from the punishment of sin. And that meant some fighting. Jesus had to fight. Our salvation was fought for by Jesus. And while we have roles to play in how the gospel unfolds in our lives, and sometimes in the lives of others, we're often witnesses to what God is doing through the gospel and has already done through the gospel. Just like the Israelites. We're witnesses to God fighting. We can be good people. We can do good things. We can try really hard. And maybe you can be one of those few people who at the end of your life, all the good stuff you did outweighed all the bad stuff that you did. But it doesn't matter. We can't save ourselves eternally. And so that fight continues in our lives even after we choose to follow uh, to follow God. 
The gospel isn't solely a means to just get into heaven. Now, on the other hand, we don't, we don't just take a back seat and not do anything, but we need to be willing to trust God and allow him to fight for us as well. Now, for all the, is, the, the issues the Israelites had, for all the things that they did that they shouldn't have done, for all the times that we read the Bible and we're like, man, like, why did you guys do that? There were other times when they exhibited some strong faith. There are times when it might have been easier to take matters into their own hands as opposed to trust God and to, to really follow through with where God was leading. Like, you want me to walk through the Red Sea? What, was, what is wrong with you? I'll take my chances going back to Egypt. Or you know what? At least I'll fight Pharaoh and his army on my terms. They didn't do that. They actually went through the Red Sea. For Joshua, you know, and, and some of the Israelites during his leadership, when it could have been easier to take complete control after mowing through a few kings and taking some territory, it could have been just really easy to use these victories as an opportunity to gain glory for himself and themselves. For the most part, Joshua and the Israelites continued to rely on God. And Joshua, even into his old age, he was the one that continued to acknowledge and continued to talk about that God fought for the Israelites. And he was the one who gave them their territory. So what about us? We're not necessarily going to walk through Lake Lanier anytime soon. I don't think. Uh, yeah, like, I always think it's good to have people on your side who are willing to fight for you, who are willing to go to battle with you. My son, Nate, Nate is six, and he does a good job with kids. You know, he warms up pretty quickly to him. Even older kids, like high school kids, um, his, a couple of his, his cousins are, you know, they're teenagers, and you know, we got him around them, and it was just, you know, two, his cousins were two boys, and, you know, he just had a blast with them, loved them the whole time. Uh, but adults, not so much. You ever been around Nate, and you're an adult, and you say hi to him, yeah, he's just kind of like, I'm going to go over here with my parents, and I'll let them talk to you. You know, I don't want anything to do with you, but... We've got a friend here at church who, we, you know, I talk to him all the time. And he'll come up and say hi to Carrie and say hi to Caitlin. And Caitlin's like, hi. You know, you know she'll get along well with anybody. Uh, but Nate's kind of like, nah, I'm, I'm good. So, you know, but he found out that Nate was in kindergarten. And so he started talking to Nate. And he started telling him, hey, listen, you ever have any problems with any other kids in your class or in kindergarten, you tell me. We'll go in there together and we'll take care of this. And at first I was like, whoa. Oh. <laughs> easy, easy. You're an adult, you know, five, six-year-olds. Uh, wouldn't be good. But, he, you know, he would say this occasionally to Nate. And then last week in the parking lot, he came out, Nate, you know, Carrie and Caitlin and I, we're going to the car. 
And he says hi to us. He's like, Nate, you got a week of school left. But remember, anybody messes with you, you let me know. And we'll go in there together and take care of that. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know, something clicked with Nate. He's like, okay, yeah, all right. And so it's always good to have somebody on your side who wants to fight for you. And it's good to know our God doesn't shy away from a fight either. Not timid. In fact, he's more than willing to enter into it on behalf of us. And look, he already has. I mean, he sent Jesus. But how often do we really want to be in those types of situations and those types of circumstances where we know God has to come through for us? Where it's God must deliver us. God has to fight and take care of the situation. It probably, it's probably a lot more necessary than any one of us realize. And it won't be until we actually like stand before God and we're like, whoa, you, you really had to fight a lot more in my life than I even realized. But even on a daily basis, how often do we invite God into the fight? Ask him to fight for us, to battle for us in the different areas of our lives. In the mundane stuff. In the stuff that we know is important, but ah, we don't have to really worry about it that much. Or even the important stuff, like the stuff that we won't tell anybody about. It's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Or maybe, maybe do you ever feel like, I'm pretty good with where I'm at. I don't really want to, like, hand this stuff over to God. I don't want him shaking anything up right now. I think we all kind of, like, can relate to that. We experience that. And then there's the one that I fear the most. I'm in a situation where God has to come through for me, and I know that he has to fight for me. And I'm praying for him to fight, but I look at the results and I'm like, Look, I'm, I'm not really gaining any territory here. These kings of whatever I'm trying to fight, you know, they're, they're not falling by the wayside. And I kind of get to a point where I don't feel like God's really fighting at all. All of this stuff is, is it's hard to think about. It's hard for me, like, putting this stuff together this week. I was like, I don't want to say that. I don't really want to say that. I don't want to say that. It's hard to wrestle with this stuff. Uh, I think sometimes we feel like we need to be in control of everything in our lives. Whether that's something we've learned or something that, you know, is just innate in us. Um, We feel like we need to be able to handle everything. And not just handle it, but handle it well. And when God, all really God wants is to enter into this part of your life with you and fight for you in it. I mean, what if it were as simple as going to God with these things and admitting them to him and allowing him to give us rest as he fights for us and then includes us in this fight? 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, 
because he cares for you. You guys get this? You understand this? You understand how great this is? God wants to fight for us. If you're a believer, God's not like, okay, great. You asked me into your heart. Good luck in 30 years, 40, 60. You know, you'll stand before me and I'll let you into heaven. But until then, it's up to you. It's not like that. God wants to enter in and fight with you in the things that are going on in your lives. And if you're not a believer, I mean, look, you might think, well, that's for those, the Christians. It doesn't really apply to me. But guess what? It still does. Because God wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on a cross, send him to earth, suffer. Uh, he wouldn't have done that if he didn't want to fight for you in the first place. You've experienced this as a, as a believer. As believers, you've experienced uh, some of this already. Um, but don't sell yourself short and not include God in the areas of your life where you need him to fight for you which is pretty much all the areas. God fought for Israel, and now he fights for us too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you for how you fight for us. Thank you for fighting for us. I pray that we would be able to look at this and be honest with you about it, and bring it to you this week. Maybe open up some of these areas of our lives where we feel like, oh, it's got to be me. I got to fight. I got to fight. I got to do. I got to make this happen. No, I pray that we would have confidence in who you are and that we would be able to hand some of this stuff over to you and that you would actually fight. We would see you fighting for us uh, in different, crazy ways. Ways that where we realize that, like, that wasn't human. That was only God. Be with us. Bring us back again next week in your name. Amen.